Everybody, how are you today on this January 26th year of our Lord 2024? I can't believe we are already almost out of January. I mean, it seems like we just had Christmas yesterday, and here we are going into February. A very, very, very pivotal time in our nation, a divided time in our nation. Um, so many people. looking for hope, so many people looking for God, uh, but don't have any idea how to get there. Uh, So many people looking for somebody to lean on and have no idea who Jesus Christ even is. And it's um, it's really sad when you talk to somebody who's never been told about Jesus Christ. I mean, I have people in my family, children in my own family, my nieces, my nephews, who when you bring up God, they've never even heard one word about him, let alone Jesus. Now, they might have heard the name. They have heard somebody say God. They've heard somebody say Jesus but they don't know anything about them. And then I, like I would talk to that, like their moms or their dads. And I would say Abraham or Moses. They have no idea who that is. They've heard the name Abraham. They've heard the name Moses. They've heard the name Jesus, but they have no idea who these people are. They don't know what they did. They don't know They don't even know the, like, look, I can understand not knowing the biblical side of these people, like who they are, but to not even know the historical facts of who these people are and what they did in our history, but yet they know who Caesar and Hitler and, and, you know, uh, Alexander the Great and, and Napoleon and, and Genghis Khan, and they know all these people. They've heard of what they've done, but yet they've never even heard about God, Jesus, Abraham, Moses, Elisha, Elijah, you know, Jacob, David, 
they just don't know. And it's, it's really, really like, it, to me, it's like, it's, it's, how can that possibly be, right? So if you want to know the world out there, this hopeless world out there, there are hundreds of millions, if not billions of people who have never, ever, ever, ever heard anything about these people. And it's like, it, to me, it's so foreign, right? Like when I hear somebody say, who's Abraham? What did he do? I'm like, well, what? What? Um, and that's kind of what my show is about today. We're going to talk about something that I don't think I've ever talked about before. And it's one of the, one of those things that's so obvious and so in front of your face that you go, why didn't I think of this? Now, I'm sure that when we get into this conversation, there's going to be some variation of you, you know, the, of people, some variation of, of thoughts that you've had pertaining to this, but it's not a, a common thing. And you go, well, why isn't it a common thing? It's right in front of our face. So I titled today, Why Don't We Do This? And I'd like to read a little bit about this while you guys rumble and share out the gospel. Rise up episode number 279. God says to us, you have not because you ask not. He also says that if we ask and it is in accordance with his will, that we will receive that blessing. I'm sure you guys have read both of those in the Bible. So I ask you, what is it that you're asking for? And what would you like to see more than anything else in the world happen? And I have a feeling I know exactly what most of you will say. And don't get me wrong, because I've said it. What is it that you're asking for when you talk to God? And what would you like to see more than anything else in the entire world in your lifetime? Today, we will end this very, very powerful Rise Up week with this discussion. I want to pull up the Rumble Chat because it should be at that point now where people are starting to answer what it is that they pray for and what they would like to see more than anything else in the world. See what we got here. More people to come to Christ. That's, I ask for love for everyone from God. Stand strong. I pray daily for the eyes to see and the wisdom to know. That's really amazing. That's good. Fear not. Um, let's see. Guidance and to do his will. Beautiful. Let's see what else. Let's see what else we got here. A lot of people just coming in and saying hello. It's good to see you all. Conserve Q says peace. That's a good thing to pray and ask for. I believe that's probably in accordance with his will, right? El Dooley says, I ask for protection over my children and my grandchildren. Leadfoot says, world peace. T. Hodges says, good health for all. Miranda says, revival across the world. I pray for truth. I, to hear Jesus more clearly. Peace. To open doors. Peace on earth. 
family and friends to come to know Jesus, my family to come to Christ. So look, we got a lot of answers there. And I wouldn't say any one of those answers is a wrong answer. Not at all. But I want to go, if I can, and I want to read to you. And by the way, I, just so everybody knows, when I read to you now, uh, uh, Bible verses and stuff, I will read variations of verses for you sometimes so that we can see how they differ. Uh, but for the main, for, for all intents and purposes, uh, I will be reading from the complete Jewish Bible for most of my, um, for most of my scripture. I, I will be uh, giving you from the Messianic Bible um, most of scripture. So it's just because that's the one I'm reading right now, and I'm really, 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 really enjoying the, um, the Old Testament roots that we have to have in order to flourish a New Testament message, right? I mean, that's, there's, no, there's no debating or disputing that one, okay? So we're going to be reading from the book of James today, and I want to go right to that book right now, reading from what they call the uh, CJB, which is the Complete Jewish Bible. And I want to read from James 4. So if you guys have your Bibles, if you don't have the, the, the CJB, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Pretty much, you know, whether you have NIV or NLT or KJV or whatever, or new, NKJV, whatever it is, open your Bible, if you can, to James 4, okay? And we're going to read from James 4.1 all the way down to James 4.7, Okay. And then we're going to go into the understanding the 66 books of the Bible. And we're going to read from James about what James is really all about. All right. So let me set this down. And let's get into this. And by the way, if you're just coming in, thank you very much for being here. I'll ask that you share the gospel and make sure you smash that rumble button. All right. James 4.1 says this. What is causing all the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it your desires battling inside you? Your desire, you desire things and don't have them. You kill and you are jealous and you still can't get them. So you fight and quarrel. The reason you don't have is because you don't pray or you pray and you don't receive because you pray with the wrong motive that of wanting to indulge your own desires and then I'll go on from 4 4 to 4 7 You unfaithful wives, don't you know that loving the world is hating God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you suppose the scripture speaks in vain when it says there is a script in us which longs to envy, but the grace he gives is greater, which is why it says God opposes the arrogant, but to the humble he gives grace. Now, out of all of that, I want to really focus on four two. 
You desire things and don't have them. You kill and you are jealous and you still can't get them. So you fight and you quarrel. The reason you don't have is because you don't pray. Very, very important. Now, your Bible might say the reason that you don't have is because you don't ask. Or if you go on to 4.3, it says, or you do pray, but you don't receive because you pray with the wrong motive, that of wanting to indulge your own desires. Now, let's think about our own desired prayers. Right. And not all of them are wrong and not all of them are not in accordance with God's will. I pray for discernment. That's amazing. That's great. You do want heavenly discernment, but that is on you. I pray that my family will come to know Christ. That is amazing. And that's not wrong. And guess what? That is in God's will, but that's still more local to you. I pray for good health. I pray for a good husband. I pray that my kids will succeed. I pray that my family will have no weapon formed against us that will prosper. I pray for the armor of God. I pray that uh, I can leave a, a, a legacy of, of teaching Christ to my friends and my family when I pass on. There's a lot of things that we pray for that are local to us, and they're not really wrong, and they're not really in, uh, not in accordance with God's will. But let me ask you this. If God says that as long as you pray and ask, it will be given to you as long as it's within accordance with God's will. And Jesus tells us that we are to preach the gospel to all corners of the world. Then why don't we pray for everybody in the world to be saved? How often have you got down on your knees and you might have done this once, you might have done this twice, three times, five times. Why don't we do it every day? Why isn't our ask of God Almighty who can do any and all things with Christ, all things are possible. There's nothing that you can't ask for that I won't give as long as it's in accordance with my will. And the faith of a mustard seed can move an entire mountain. Why don't we specifically just pray for everybody in the world to come to Christ and everybody in the world to be saved? Are we saying that we don't believe that God can do that? Are we putting God in a box? Are we putting God a limit on what God can do by saying, well, that's not logical because there are Buddhists, there are Muslims. Now, I'm sure a lot of us have said in our prayers, I pray that the gospel is spread to all corners of the earth and everybody in the world will come to know you. And then you go on with the rest of your prayer. How many of us actually sit down and really get down to the nitty gritty and really get our hands dirty and get on our knees and pray to God specifically and only for that? I guarantee you not a lot of us do. Because I can tell you, I don't. Not until today. Not until today. Now I'm going to make it a point to daily make time to pray just for 
the people of this earth. Now, I do this at the dinner table, right? Uh, Katia says, my question on what you said, Jeremy, are we supposed to pray for the same thing over and over, or does he hear us the first time? He hears you the first time, but that doesn't mean that you can't ask for continued prayers to sustain whatever that is. Like, say you're an alcoholic or, or, or an addict. You know what I mean? You need to go to the well every day. You need to go to the well every day to get that courage, to get that stamina, to get that heavenly energy. So it's okay to pray for things uh, uh, constantly. It's okay to pray for things constantly. It's a thank you for what you've done for me, Lord. Continue to please, uh, to please bless my, my addictive personality and, 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 and you know, squash those, those desires of my flesh. Like, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. It's, it's not like saying... Um, it's not like saying, oh, I don't think you did it last time. Let me do it again just in case. Like, if that's what you think when you're doing it, then yeah, that might be wrong. God knows the intent of your heart. But I don't see anything wrong with continuing to ask for a prayer that you've already asked for. It's just to keep it going, that's all. And it's just to acknowledge what he's done for you. And you thank him for the blessing that he has done. And you continue to ask for blessings in the future to get you through whatever that hard thing is that you know that you've got a weakness in. A lot of people, it's lust. A lot of people, it's lust. And I can tell you right now, to, to a lot of the guys out there, if your problem is continued lust, then, and, 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 and you have like, um, Eli, you know when, when an alcoholic says, I can't be around anybody drinking alcohol? Like, I don't like that, right? Because that makes me think, well, then that means you are so, uh, you are so susceptible to falling victim to alcohol that you can't even be around somebody drinking it well, I don't think you've got God in, your, in the mix of all that. You know what I mean? Like you want to, what you want to do is you want to get to the point where you can walk into a bar and smell booze if you're an alcoholic, but with the help of God and continued prayer to get better and better and better and better and better to, to be able to resist it easier and easier and easier and easier. It's a, it's a marathon, uh, not, a, not a sprint. Now let's get back to the asking people to be saved everywhere. A lot of you might do this. Now, I do this at the dinner table. Like, I'll, we'll be at the dinner table and sit down. The whole family's there. And I know a lot of my family probably doesn't like dinner table prayer because I know everybody just wants to eat. And they want to get to eat really quick. And they just want to say, thank you, God, for our food, blah, 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 blah. And then they want to get to eat. But, like, my prayers are really long at the dinner table. And I know my family's sitting there going, hopefully we can eat soon and our food will get cold. But in those prayers, I do ask, for our nation to be covered with, you know, the blessing of God, for our nation to heal, to, to, for the division to be, um, to be mended and, and to understand what the people on the other side are actually doing and hopefully that they can understand what we're doing. And I pray that everybody comes to know Jesus. I do that usually within other prayer. But I want to specifically sit down on a daily basis or get on my knee and say, God, the people of this world need you. And I just want to pray specifically for them. After you ask God for something, then you don't just continue to thank him and praise him for answering for prayer out of faith. No, I constantly do. Constantly pray and ask for the same thing and thank him for everything. I don't know what that means. Um, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Keep knocking on the door and the door will be opened. That's... That's how I see it. Um, 
I pray this every day and night. My family needs prayer. Everybody needs prayer. Everybody. But are you also praying for the murderers out there? Are you praying for the cartel? Are you praying for rapists? Are you praying for people who are actively trafficking and raping a five-year-old girl as we speak with a knife to her throat? Are you praying for the Muslims that want to kill every person that thinks Jesus is the Messiah? Are we praying for, for, for Hamas that's got tunnels built that are, where they're kidnapping people all over the world and making slaves and then you know cutting their heads off? That's... We need to pray for those people and we need to pray for the people who are just living a decent life and they think they're good people and they don't break any laws. Guess what? We're praying for them too. And that's what we should be doing. We should be making time out of the day, every day, all day, to be thinking about, man, if Jesus could save everybody in this world today, we'd have heaven on earth. And so when we do the Lord's Prayer, We say, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if we want on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to have everybody that know, to know God. Let's start by that. Let's start by saying at least everybody know him. And I think that's Jesus saying, go to all corners of the world and, 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 and preach my message. Um, and you'll be hated for it. You might even die for it. But that's the goal. That is what we need to do. That way there's no excuse on the day that I come back. But I don't want there to have to be an excuse. I want everybody to love God now and and accept Jesus now. I don't want anybody else to have to go to hell or anybody else to be judged uh, as a a worker of iniquity. Uh, That's what I would like. I would like all 8 billion people on planet Earth to be saved instantaneously right now. That would be the greatest, right? We'd all be like-minded, God-fearing, God-loving, Jesus-preaching people walking on this earth as in heaven. I do prayer sometimes for unanswered prayers. I don't realize in my, is in my best interest. Yeah, well, anything that's unanswered is definitely not in accordance with God's will, um, at least not at this moment, because it would, be, it would be given to you. And a lot of the times, like I said earlier, God will move things out of the way and, and take things from you so you don't trip in the process. Veronica says, the hardest thing for me to do is pray for our enemies. I need help with that. Angel Fit says, Jeremy, how do we pray for those evil people? Well, we do it just like this. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Father, we ask you to humble our hearts, to chisel off any of that hardened heart that we might still have toward people that are very, very, very evil, people that are riddled with demons that are causing them to go against the, 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 the will of God and, and against your commandments and to cause harm to people that you've created in your image, Lord. It is so hard to pray for murderers and rapists and thieves, but that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to sit with the godly. He came to sit with the thieves, the murderers, the rapists, He came to sit with the sick. He came to sit with the sinners so that he could teach them about the grace of God, so that he could teach them that there is somebody out there that can take all that from you and tell you, I love you no matter what you've done. Repent, my son, my daughter. We should not want these people to die because of what they've done. We should want justice to be served in a way that these people come to you and repent for what they've done and be saved like we were. 
Sin is sin. We've committed horrible sin, and the wages of sin is death in our own lives. So who are we to judge their lives? Because we think that our sin isn't as bad as their sin. Sin is sin, and sin against God is horrible and deserving of death from all angles. From all angles. So if that person deserves hell and deserves a punishment that is unbearable, so do we. But the good news is that we don't have to live eternity with that curse. That's what we pray for today, Lord. Lord, today we pray for every soul to come to you on earth. Lord, today in this Rise Up family, we pray that every heart immediately at once around the world, 8 billion people, feel the love and the acceptance of Jesus today. Feel the forgiveness and the salvation of God today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And the funny thing about it is, is when you do that, that hardened hatred that's in your heart for those people that are molesting people at knife point, it somehow goes away and you want them to be fixed. John Sandy says, Saul was the enemy of the followers of Jesus, even killed and imprisoned them. But Jesus showed himself to Saul. Look at all that Paul did in the name of Jesus. Yes, pray for your enemies. Bob of Atlanta says, I wonder if we've let unrighteous people assign us our earthly enemies. Sometimes I don't see what the U.S. government tells me I should see in the many people of the Middle East. That's a good point, Bob. That's a good point. Too many people following men, following the words of men. Good morning, Meemaw. She says, good morning, listening, can't chat, getting ready for my Tulsa appointment. Jeremy, sounds like my pastor. That's good. I listen. (laughs) Tell your pastor I said hi. Uh... Thank you, Jeremy. It brought tears to my eyes. Well, that's what happens when you're convicted of something that you know that you should, that you should be addressing and you're not. Tears flow. That's, those are good tears, though. There's nothing wrong with those. There's nothing wrong with those at all. Hey, it's Lord Fishy's birthday. Look at that. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Lord Fishy. Happy birthday to you. Fisher of men. Be a fisher of men. 1,544 people, 32 minutes past the hour. Please make sure that you guys do me a great favor. Smash that rumble button and share out the gospel. All right? Jay Gizme says this. Can you imagine the testimony of all those lost souls? It would be like Paul all over again. Save them, Lord. Not one sin is greater than the next. Remember, we all fall short of the glory of God. Some people do such bad things, and it's hard to pray for them, but we do because God is the ultimate judge, not me, but I want to judge them like I have righteous anger. I understand that. I understand that, but we, we didn't create them, right? Let the creator judge them. We have an opinion. That's great. But ultimately, we should not want them to die in their sin. We should want them to repent for their sin and become children of God. That's what we ultimately want. We want heaven on earth. That's just the way it is. 
Today is Donna's birthday as well. Roto said, today is my wife's birthday, Donna. Happy birthday to you too, Donna. God bless you. The book of James. Most of us know the value of a wise pastor to whom we can go to for advice and for counsel. Someone whose biblical messages give us daily nourishment and practical guidance, who cares for us and speaks wisdom to our circumstances. Well, all of us have a pastor like like that whenever we read the book of James. So here it is, folks. If you're looking for a good pastor, the book of James is going to be like that. As the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, James was a respected leader in the early church. And he became the head of the church in Jerusalem. In that role, he wrote these five chapters to fellow Jewish Christians outside Jerusalem. To those scattered abroad, James spoke to them as though he were their pastor, giving commands, warning, wisdom, and instruction. As we study this epistle, we become equal recipients of its message. In some ways, the book of James resembles Proverbs. It's pithy, practical, and full of everyday wisdom and its advice we need. The wisdom that is from above, James said, is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. James 3.17, true faith, he wrote, is wise and translates into daily action. If you need a regular dose of wisdom from a beloved pastor, read the book of James and listen to his instructions about dealing with trials, caring for widows and orphans, taming your tongue, and managing your money. The more we know of this little letter, the more the wisdom of our ways and the integrity of our walk will increase. And the key thought of the book of James is the wisdom from above. God's wisdom teaches us how to deal with trials, care for the needy, control our temper and our tongues, and glorify God by the integrity of our daily lives. The key verse is James 1.22 that says, But be doers of the world and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Key action comes from James 1.27 that says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And the key prayer, Lord, I ask you for wisdom and integrity and the grace with which to demonstrate it. Sounds like a very practical, perfect book for any parent, any person, anybody. The book of James. The book of James, half-brother of Jesus. Brendan says, I am on the pastor search team at my church. Please pray for the wisdom for us as God guides us to the right man for us. Well, uh, the church that we attend, our pastor changed about a year ago, maybe maybe two years ago now. And, um, you know, we're, we're not members of the church, but we've seen how difficult that is, that, that process of finding a new pastor to lead you in Scripture every day and to follow as, as your, you know, earthly teacher here um, in, 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 in Scripture. And it's a very difficult process for the members of the church and for the elders of the church. I mean, they got, it is a rigorous, long process that could take up to a year or longer. You know, you got to make sure that the person that you're putting in charge of the word of God, or at least in charge of, uh, of teaching and, and talking about the word of God on a weekly basis, one, two, three, four times a week, 
to a congregation of people in that area, you got to make sure that it's the right man for the job. Amen? So we, we will pray for that because we understand that that's difficult. But God will lead you. That is 100% correct. All right. As we, uh, as we close out Rise Up for this week here, and by the way, it's been one, one heck of a week here. Um, I do have a couple things to show you. I got a couple videos to show you. Obviously, we have a Ray Comfort video to show you. But I also have another video to show you from uh, a, a friend of Frank Turek's. Now, this guy, is uh, he works with Frank Turek on Cross-Examined. And I just wanted to play this before I played Ray Comfort's video just because I enjoyed watching it, and I thought you guys might enjoy it as well. And it's, and it's, um, it's titled, What Do We Know About God? So enjoy this video, and then we'll come back and we'll go right into a Ray Comfort video. What do we know about God? Roll it. Hey, friends, Bobby Conway with Cross Examine. A.W. Tozer once quipped, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a statement well worth pondering. Preceding Tozer by several centuries, 13th century philosopher and theologian Thomas Aquinas thought long and hard about this topic, namely, who is God and what is he like? In fact, at the ripe old age of five, the great 13th century erudite thinker asked his teacher, what is God? His teacher was stumped to say the least. And as a result, Aquinas became a theologian to find out for himself. Regarding God's essence, he didn't think we could answer that question. But he did believe we could know that God exists. Thanks to him, we are privy to so much great work in the area of natural theology. There's a story that's told about him that at the end of his writing career, he had this powerful engagement or encounter with God. He was so touched and moved that after he had this ineffable experience, he would say, all that I have seen is but straw and he would never write again. As Christians, we believe that God has made himself known through both natural and special revelation. Natural revelation is the revelation of God revealed in nature. Natural theology is the process whereby man seeks to understand this revelation as witnessed in nature. For instance, arguments from nature such as the cosmological argument or the fine-tuning argument or even the moral argument can help us learn some things about the nature of God, even demonstrating that life is not an accident. This raises the question, what can we glean about God from natural revelation? Well, without going into detail here, let me say that by studying the philosophical and scientific arguments for God's existence, we can see that God is a necessary, uncaused, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, personal creator God. Yes, that's a lot to digest. And fortunately, God has made himself even clearer through special revelation. As it relates to natural theology, we can be thankful that those arguments provide a compelling case for God's existence. But these are also arguments that other theists like Jews and Muslims can leverage, and they do. They utilize them together. That's why we need special revelation to answer more pristinely the question before us, namely, who is God? As we should expect, Scripture confirms through special revelation that we've already said about God through natural theology. It confirms it, namely that God is a necessary, uncaused, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, personal creator God. 
But special revelation seasons things up a bit by supplying a more flavorful, detailed description of who God is. Here is a mere sampling of what we can learn about God as seen in Scripture. God's nature or essence in Scripture, we learn that God is omnipresent. He's omniscient, omnipotent. God is spirit. He's in a league of his own. He's immortal, invisible. He is the creator. He's unchanging. He's sovereign. He's one. And yet, he exists in three persons. Now, there's plenty of scriptures to back up these attributes of God. But what about his character? Concerning his character, the Bible teaches that God is loving and that he's gracious and merciful, that he's righteous, holy, just, forgiving, and compassionate. And this is just a mere snapshot of who God is. I'm guessing you get the picture. We serve a pretty special God, a God who deserves our highest devotion, our deepest love, and our fullest gratitude. For more videos and resources like these, be sure to visit crossexamine.org. And for more of my video resources, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel at Christianity Still Makes Sense. Till next time. Christianity still makes sense. I love that. What? Uh, so yeah, follow that guy if you'd like. Uh, if you like what he had to say, uh, again, he's he's a good uh, friend with Frank Turek. He works with Frank on uh, cr on Cross Examined, and uh, you know, I, hey, I am constantly scouring the world for more people spreading the gospel that I can learn from. And if I don't learn scripture through them, which I almost always do. Uh, or something about some scripture that I'd never even thought of before. Um, I do learn tactics in which ways that you can um, open people up to conversation, that you can break down those those barriers and those walls, um, or even the way that they use an analogy. Like sometimes analogies are so great, you know, they call they were called parables in Jesus's day, but they they make they help you understand things a lot easier. Uh, Angel Girl says what I was talking about when I. You ask God for something in prayer after you finish asking him for that thing. Then believe that he has taken care of it and praise him and thank him for it. Yeah, that's, that's what you do. Um, God is good. That's right. All the time and all the time, God is good. Okay, now, ladies and gentlemen, you've probably seen some of the videos in this next Ray Comfort Living Waters video, but you've not seen this video because this video is new. So this video is new, but he's taking things from other videos and putting them in to make a point about, well, Jehovah's Witness. Let's go. I'm going to expose three twisted tactics that Jehovah's Witnesses use to recruit people. The first is one that's used by Mormonism and other cults. It says that we can find everlasting life, not by the grace of God, but by human achievement. You're going to hear a Jehovah's Witness say that we earn everlasting life. A religion based on self-righteousness is popular because it doesn't speak to the holiness of God and to the depravity of man. I'll tell you what to say to show them their desperate need. It's biblical and very simple. The first big problem with Jehovah's Witnesses is that they have their own translation of the scriptures which deny that Jesus was God incarnate. They say that he was created, and they do it by adding one word to scripture. Before we look at their version, let's look to the scriptures that speak of Jesus being God in human form. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
and without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. But the Jehovah's Witnesses negate that Jesus was God by pointing to what they see as one key verse. Jesus said, If you love me, you'd rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Of course, the Father was greater than Jesus when he became a lowly human being. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Even angels were greater than Jesus when he was in human form. So to fit their belief, they changed John 1, verse 1. Here is their version. And the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So let's see if they do preach salvation by works, something the Bible says is another gospel. Yes, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I don't believe in that. So you're Jehovah's Witness? Indeed I am. I am one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and we don't believe that. Desiree, tell me this. There's a knife in my back. How do I enter the kingdom? What can you do for me? Mm, In reality, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Please. Enter the kingdom within three minutes. You have to abide by Bible principles until it comes. How can I enter the kingdom? What can you do for me? What can you say? I suppose... I don't know. There's nothing I can do to help you with that one. What about the thief on the cross? He was dying and he got saved. He just turned to Jesus. He couldn't go anywhere. And he was saved by God's grace, and that's how you and I can be saved. It's not by works of righteousness that we do. How can we earn everlasting life? It's a free gift of God. Didn't you know that? We earn everlasting life by applying Bible principles. If we keep doing what we got to do, then God will reward us. How much do you have to do to find everlasting life? You don't got to do much, because all we do is knock on people's doors and spread the word. That's our work. Let's say I knock on three doors. Will that get me to the kingdom? You got to keep doing it. You can't just do it. There's not a specific number. A hundred doors. There's not a specific number. <laughs> There's not a specific number. Boy, so can There's you... not a specific can number. Can you be sure of entering God's I'm kingdom? Sure because I have been learning this stuff since I was in diapers. Listen to the scriptures warn about preaching another gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The second tactic used by the Jehovah's Witnesses is that they take the fulfillment of Bible prophecy to give credibility to their own perversion of the Scriptures and consequently to their own false gospel. They show the unsaved the signs of the end of the age in their New World Translation, which they say is evidence that their version is inspired by God. So the events unfolding around us are making clearer than ever that we're living in the final part of the last days, undoubtedly the final part of the final part of the last days. Jesus made it clear at Luke 21, 11, that pestilence would be part of the sign of the last days. And the third tactic used by Jehovah's Witnesses is that they use fear to recruit into and then to hold people within their organization. Most Christians are familiar with the book of Ezekiel and how it says that in the last days a number of nations referred to as Gog and Magog will come down upon a peaceful Israel to destroy it. And that will culminate in the Battle of Armageddon. But incredibly, Jehovah's Witnesses twist these scriptures to say that those nations will attack Jehovah's Witnesses, not Israel, and that will begin the Battle of Armageddon. 
Gog of Magog, a coalition of all the nations who make plans to attack God's people. This will start the Battle of Armageddon. So how do we witness to a Jehovah's Witness? Do we need to have a knowledge of the Greek language? We could, but there's an easier and better way. We should do what Jesus did and present the true gospel, because it's the power of God to salvation. If a Jehovah's Witness truly repents and trusts alone in Jesus rather than his or her works, they'll be born again and the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth and out of the unbiblical cult. Keep watching this video right till the end because you're going to see Jehovah's Witnesses enlightened to the biblical gospel. It's wonderful. You don't want to miss it. Are you confused when it comes to God? You've got all sorts of different religions saying different things. You've got Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. Within the Christian circles, you've got cults like Jehovah's Witnesses. You've got Mormons. You've got Seventh-day Adventists. You've got the Catholics. You've got the Christians. What's the right way? I believe there's no right way. People should believe what they want to believe and not other people change their decision and their ways. So it doesn't matter what you believe? No, it doesn't matter what you believe. So if I believe I'm going to Hawaii, but I'm really going to New York on a plane, I'm going to go to Hawaii because I believe it? No. Of course not. Our beliefs don't change reality. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm going to share the gospel with our friend here, and you correct me afterwards if you think I'm wrong, okay? If I'm doing anything wrong. You with me? Gotcha. Now, do you think you're a good person? I do. I do believe I'm a good person. Okay, now Jesus said there's none good but God. And you know how we can know if we're good? Just look at the Ten Commandments. So that's all we're going to do is look at those commandments that are written on our heart via our conscience. How many lies do you think you've told in your life? I, I told many lies. Ever use God's name in vain? Yes, okay. I have. That's called blasphemy. It's using God's name as a cuss word very serious. It's punishable by death in the Old Testament. Now Jesus said if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? No. When did you last look at pornography? Two years. Two years. So when you looked at pornography two years ago, you lusted within your heart and committed adultery in God's eyes. That's what the Bible says. I'm not judging you, but you've just told me you're a lying thief and a blasphemer. And I don't know if you can believe what you said about lust because you told me you're really good at lying. Would you be innocent or guilty on Judgment Day of breaking those commandments? Honestly, I would say I'm guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. That's the last thing I want. I love you ladies. I care about you. The thought of you going to hell takes my breath away. It's so horrific. The Bible says God provided a way for us to be forgiven. Jesus suffered and died to take the punishment for our sins. You probably know that, but you may not know this. The Ten Commandments are called the Moral Law. You and I broke the law, Jesus paid the fine. That's why he said it is finished just before he died. If you're in court and someone pays your fine, a judge can let you go even though you're guilty. You can say, ladies, there's a whole stack of speeding fines here. This is terribly serious, but someone's paid him, you're free to go. And he can let you walk even though you're guilty. And he can do that which is legal and right and just. Well, God can legally dismiss your case instantly because Jesus paid the fine in his life's blood. Even though we're guilty, God can let us live forever. He can take the death sentence off us and grant us everlasting life, not because we're good or because we earn it, but because God is good and he's rich in mercy. And then Jesus rose from the dead, defeated death. And so we can't do anything to save ourselves. Just a matter of turning to Jesus and repentance, 
and putting our trust in him. And the moment we do that, because of his death and resurrection, God remits our sins in an instant and grants us the gift of everlasting life. And that's the good news of the gospel. You have God's promise. He'll grant you everlasting life as a free gift because you can't earn eternal life. The Bible says, by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, least any man boast. It says, God saves us according to his mercy, not by works of righteousness. Make sure you take heed to his words. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now tell me, where did I go wrong? You weren't wrong. I think everything you said was very knowledgeable. Yeah, well, thank you for listening to me, ladies. You're going to think about what we talked about? Of course. I think about that actually every day. And what about you? You're going to think about it? Yes, every day. So when do you think you'll repent and put your faith in Jesus? Today. So you're going to think about what we talked about today? Yes, of course. Then Desiree took a copy of our Million Dollar Gospel of John and a booklet I wrote called Save Yourself Some Pain. That's a mini miracle because Jehovah's Witnesses hardly ever take other people's literature. Living waters exist. Really, really great. Um, great job there by Ray, actually, because, um, you know, Ray has a great way of talking uh, to people who have, you know, different... Uh, different ways of looking at things. And just because they might be wrong doesn't mean that they are not, uh, that we shouldn't talk to them, right? So I want to kind of give you this story before we go. My wife used to be visited every week by a 90-year-old Jehovah's Witness. And every single day, no matter what my wife was doing, when that lady came, my wife would open up the door, she's a Jehovah's Witness, and she'd have her come in, and she'd sit down with her, and she would listen to what she had to say, and they'd have coffee, and my wife would open up her Bible, and my wife would preach to her and talk with her and have conversation with her, but reading out of the Bible. And she would read out of hers, and they'd go back and forth, and they'd have conversation. And do you know that I think one of this little old 90-year-old lady's best times of her day or of her week was when she would come to our house and she would talk to my wife. And then we didn't see her for a while and I asked my wife, have you seen her lately? And my wife said no. And uh, we assume that she's passed away, but we don't know. But she was coming for quite some time and my wife would sit there and my wife would listen to her. She wouldn't argue with her or anything like that. She would just preach and she would have coffee with her and she'd love her and she was 90 and she could barely move. She could barely walk. She had a hard time getting in and out of the car. She had a hard time walking up the stairs and coming in the house, but she did it. And my wife graciously allowed her to come in every single time. And let me just tell you, what if, just what if my wife was able to help this young, this old lady go to heaven. What if? Wouldn't that be great? So again, we don't slam the door in their faces. We don't tell them how stupid they are. We don't tell them how wrong they are in an aggressive way. We love them. We want them to come to Christ. Just like we want everybody to come to Christ. So... While we believe they're very, very wrong, 
and the Bible says they're very wrong. It's our job to love them as Jesus would. I can't imagine Jesus would shut the door in someone's face. I can't imagine Jesus would tell somebody, get off my property. I can't imagine Jesus would aggressively go after them and call them a cult, even though by definition, I guess they are. But it's always about doing, what would Jesus do? And I have a feeling Jesus would do what my wife did. And that's why I love my wife so much because she's always constantly showing me what I should do. Because I would have done the opposite until I saw my wife do that. So maybe, just maybe, going back to why don't we do this, which is the title of today's show. Why don't we pray, love, and open the door for others who are also seeking the truth of God? And how often do we go to other people's houses, strangers, and ask them, is there anything we can do for you around the house? Maybe there's something we can learn from them. Maybe there's something they can learn from us. Maybe there's something we could all learn from Jesus. Thank you guys so very much. God bless you both, all of you. I'll see you on Live from America in an hour. Mike Crispy comes up next. Enjoy the music on your way out. God bless you. See you later. Yes, Lord. Oh, even now, would you teach Deep in